We are back with Octavia's Parables podcast, our offering where we are reading Octavia E. Butler's classical text one chapter at a time. This episode is Mind of My Mind, which is book two of the Patternist series. We're in part three, chapter nine, and it's getting lit. So my name is Adrian Marie Brown. I'm your co-host alongside of the beautiful and delightful and perfect. <laughs> Toshi Regan. Happy birthday. How you doing, Toshi? How you doing over there? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad to be talking to you. I'm um, glad to be in a, you know, gigantic bowl of creativity with so many awesome people. Mm, I love that so. bowl of creativity. Mm-hmm. That's really good. Is there anything you want to announce? I'll announce to the fall. I will say um, I'm starting this uh, new collaboration called "Where You're Having Too Much Fun, So We're Going to Have to Kill You. Oh, yeah. And this is, a, it's all AKA the Disco Project. AKA, and yeah. So we just had a first workshop and we're going to be doing a work in progress performance at Wesleyan. Uh, October 7th, and I have a, a, a three-show residency at Symphony Space in New York. Nice. And so we'll do it again as part of that, and then I'm going to do my Sacred Revolution show there, and then also present one of my favorite artists, Be Steadwell, for Ooh, her own show. Yay. So that's going to be... That's going to be like November 19th is Sacred Revolution, and I think the Disco Project is November 12th. I think B is November 9th. I B think. is so brilliant. B is so brilliant. So yeah, great. those will be up and in public very soon. Okay. Awesome. How about you? I am, I think the big thing I can, well, two things are, so much is happening concurrently. <laughs> um, but it's one insane. thing for this fall, we are doing the first, um, the first launch of the Institute for Radical Permission this fall. And I want to let people know if you missed the sign up to be part of the original thousand person class, there's going to be an evergreen offering. So if you go to the website for Institute for Radical Permission, you'll be able to get the course afterwards and just have the classes, have the lessons, get the journal, all of that. And Sonia and I put our feet into this. Like we really let it heal and move us. And it's very vulnerable. And we're inviting people into really reclaiming your lives. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's nothing small. And then in November, uh, my next book, Fables and Spells, comes out. And it's a collection of short stories and spells, poetry, uh, that's really a lot of witchy, witchy witchcraft. Like I'm really, really into my leaning into the like, what, what is the magic that can happen when we use words to cast the futures we want. So mm-hmm. um, I'm really pleased with the collection and I hope y'all like it. You know, <laughs> I think this is, <laughs> it's also my dream book in a way. It's like a book. I I hope people will just keep it on the back of their toilet and just read like one spell <laughs> or one fable at a time and just kind of be in that magic. So it'll be in my backpack. That's how I do with those books. Like, oh, I carry, yeah. 
Mickey Finney book in, in, in my backpack for about two years and would read it almost every day. That's I what I want to just smush up on a Nikki Finney book in someone's life. Let me tell you, y'all need to get with that <laughs> Nikki Finney uh, wisdom yeah. in the poetry form. Yeah, I've never had a bad Nikki Finney experience Mm-mm. as a reader. <laughs> Spectacular. Um, all right, good. So um, just a heads up to y'all, this is a really massive chapter. Um, chapter nine is a massive chapter and there's some really tough things in here, particularly around, um, child, child mortality. Um, so just trigger warning heads up, you know, I think Octavia does this in almost all of her collections at some point, she turns us to look at like the cost of, of human decisions, you know, includes this and we need to face it. So I just want to give you all that heads up that that's where we're heading for some of this territory. It's not the only hard thing, but it's one of the hard things. It's one of the hard things for yeah. sure. All right. Uh, here we go. So part three is like just basically I I know I'm I've read this book before <laughs> and I feel like I haven't read this book before. Yeah. I've read it's this book before many times. Yeah. It's a whole other book. And um we start off with Emma. Um and Emma's at her typewriter and she is uh getting, writing another book. And Doro shows up and Doro shows up. He's in this body um, that she's seen him in before. It's a small man, black haired, green eyed like Mary, but the hair was straight and the body was white. And he just kind of comes in and, you know, falls on the couch and is he's in a mood. Um, He's he's in a he's in a a, a, what do he's tender. What did you call him? He's tender. He's a tenderoni. And also a lot of time has passed here. Yes, I, I should say that. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. We're, <laughs> I'm like that's important. <laughs> this is this is this is important. So from where we left, I can't quite go back to where we left, but yeah. let's just say this: it's like two there years. are yeah. about two years, and there are 1,500 actives yeah. in the pattern. Yeah. So this is a good way of giving you an understanding of of how much has happened. And in fact, I wrote on my page: big news. <laughs> there are 1500 <laughs> there's a lot of them up now <laughs> there's a lot of them going on and yep. uh so if you you know if you're like want to get a check in go back to eight and see where we left off and then come back to here exactly. and see what has happened it's it's pretty it's a lot. pretty big so emma and doro are both in a tight about mary you know mm-hmm. and i can't wait to see what these questions are going to be because doro comes in he's um He's tender, he's pouty, and Emma's like, well, what's the matter? And he's like, it's Mary, Mary's the matter. And Emma grimaces, she's like, I'm not surprised. What has she done? And it's not what she's done, it's what she's going to do. Doro's like, you know, I'm sure he won't use this language, but he is nervous, he is scared, he is everything. And he is like, you know... I'm worried about the pattern. Like he's worried about how many yeah. people that she's gathering. And he's also really worried, I think, or is it worried or is it threatened? I don't know. We will keep discovering that she keeps rescuing these latents and yeah. she's not like him. He's just, yeah. dis- people are disposable. She is like the roughest latents, like the ones that like are in terrible shape. She is like, Go get this one and bring them to me. You know, yes. let's heal them up and we can make them somebody. So Emma's like, well, if you ask me, she had enough two years ago. 
So <laughs> this whole like explosion, you know, it's hard to see Emma as an extension of Anyamu, like, and sometimes. <laughs> yeah, she's just like, I'm, I'm Octavia she, now. She's like, I'm sitting here grumpy and reading my, writing my books. <laughs> yeah, she she's like I just I'm just in my books. Don't bother me. I'm yeah. doing really good. Mm. Um, you know, and so basically Emma's pointing out that you know he's let it grown. Yeah, he hasn't intervened, and so she's doing what she wants. He's like, you know, I'm not trying to kill her. I'm not trying to do this. But Emma's like, do you think she will make you kill her? Yeah. Like, do you think she's gonna obey? And he's like, no, she's gonna obey me. She's gonna do everything. Um, I want her to do and he's not worried about that but I think this whole conversation is about Doro's worry and Emma is just pointing out over and over again that she has this I want to read this she's got too much power Doro she terrifies me she's doing exactly what you always said you wanted to do but she's doing it not you all those people those 1500 people in the section are hers not yours and then he's like but she's mine and he and she's like saying yeah but you wouldn't be thinking about even thinking about killing her you know you wouldn't even be saying things like i'm not trying to kill her i don't think i'll kill her you know you wouldn't even be bringing up killing if you thought like you had control over the situation like why are we talking about uh, killing doro (laughs) and so then he's like well what are you afraid of Mm -hmm. and she's like you're married your ruthless, egotistical, power-hungry little Mary. And then he's like, your grandchild. And she's like, your creation. <laughs> like, they're just going back and forth. Whose fault is it that Mary exists anyway? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So, but Emma has tremendous fear about Mary. I'm not going to read everything, but she has, she has terrible fear around her. And not only does she have fear around Mary, but she has, she has fear around this what do you want to call it adrian is it a class divide between you know the telepaths and the non-telepaths of yeah it's Doros? definitely a power imbalance it's definitely a power imbalance i think i love what she says that she's like this feels familiar as someone who was alive during slavery like mm-hmm. i recognize this as as how we were seen by slave owners you know like <laughs> mm-hmm. I get this. And and do you understand that that's what's happening? Yeah, she is pointing this out. He's seeing something else. And maybe this is his way of trying to feel strong in the argument with Emma, as opposed to him actually really feeling okay. Yeah. But she's pointing out, like, they're not just 1500, you know, telepaths in a pattern that nobody can access. This is 1500 people working together collaboratively in communities yes she's pointing out they're like you know they could take over governments and then he's like well they already did yes (laughs) he took over the the city government there that they're in and then she says they've completely taken over the best section of town they did it quickly you know yes (laughs) and then doro says they have key mutes in city hall and this is the thing that Emma, as Adrian was saying, Emma's like, I don't like this. Nope. Like, why Why are you calling people mutes? Like, why we got a name? And But that's what they call everybody. It doesn't matter if you got special talents or if, you know, yeah. you Toshi Regan. 
Exactly. You you can't be in the pattern, <laughs> so and therefore you're not telepathic. You're not telepathic. Boom. You're not telepathic. <laughs> okay. You are mute. We can't. You can't hear. You, can't you know, hear. they're just like you. You actually can't hear. You can't hear what we talk. About. You can't hear anything, and you can't communicate to us, and you can't communicate you no with us. You yeah. have zero. So they give them this name, mutes, and now mutes is the nasty word, and uh, Emma considers it as as strong as the N word. Yes, and she is really pressuring Doro. You're really you're out of control. You're not one of them. She's like, if you think you're going to be like, you know, in charge of these people, you're out of your mind. Mm. He's like, they don't look down on me. And she's like, they don't look up to you either. They used to. They used to respect you. Damn it. They used to love you. The originals, the first family. Y'all remember how everybody who like kind of comes through. Doro kind of ends up falling in love with him in some kind of way. But that's a wrap. You know, they're like, he's there. But (laughs) we got the pattern. So... You know, it's this this carries on and on and on and on and on. And so he says, so they're they have they're continuing. I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit, but back when she brought her first latents through, I decided to give her two years. I'd like to give her a good many more if she'll cooperate. And Emma's like, She's not she's not gonna do it. Um <laughs> and she's not gonna <laughs> she's like, No, you're <laughs> like, uh, you're living in La no, Land. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not asking her to give up anything but this recruitment drive of hers. She's got good many of my best latents now. I don't dare let her go on as she has been. And so he's his idea is that that it grows. They're calling it the section, the, pat, the pattern. The section grows only through birth so that she can yeah. she has to stop getting the latents the yeah. way she's been doing them. She has to stop rescuing them. And then with the people that she already has, then those can be the new telepaths and the new people part of the um the pattern and so emma and, and me and adrian and everybody else who's read this book is like there is no way you are going to be keeping her from anything you know so yep. they go on and 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 emma starts to to hear this pride the source of pride coming out of doro that he's actually excited that he has finally like gotten the being that he wanted and that he can do what he thinks he can do. And she's like, you know, don't underestimate what's going on. Like, don't think that you, you can deal with her. And the question comes up, could, could Mary kill Doro? And this is like a very big deal y'all because Mm -hmm. You know, y'all been reading with, along with us and you've been listening in. And the idea that somebody could kill Doro is, is the first it, time. This is the first time. Yeah. He says, no, if she could, she would never have lived past the morning of her transition. She tried to read me then. If she hadn't, I would have ordered her to try as soon as I saw her. I wanted to look at her in the only way that would tell me whether she could possibly become a danger to me. I looked and what I saw told me she couldn't. She's like a scaled down model of me. I could have taken her then and I can take her now. And Emma has to drop some wisdom. She says, it's been a long time since you've seen someone you thought could be dangerous. I hope your judgment is still as good as you think it is. And he thinks it is. And he (laughs) said, he's only met five people I considered potentially dangerous and they all died young. And so Doro does shrug 
And, and then, um, and then she says, Emma says, I assume you're not forgetting that Mary can increase her strength by robbing her people. And he says, it doesn't make any difference. I watched her very carefully back when she took Rachel and Jess. I could have taken her then. In fact, the extra strength she has acquired made her seem a more attractive victim. Strength alone isn't enough to beat me. As she has weakness, I don't have. She doesn't move. She has just one body. And when it dies, she dies. He thought about that and shook his head sadly. And she will, she will most certainly die. And uh, M says, when? And he says, when she, if she disobeys me, I'm going to tell her my decision when I go there today. No more latents. She'll decide what she wants to do after that. Mm. So that's chapter whatever inside of chapter nine. I know. I was like, that's subchapter one out of 18. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these, so, you know, we're catching up with these next group of people and we're learning like how this first group has developed into the pattern and into being the leaders kind of, of this widening, you know, so first up is Seth and um, Seth is coming out of the house and he's thinking about an assignment that Mary has just given him. And it's the same old thing. And you'll see, this is, they call seconds. And seconds are the people who help the latents um, when they have to go through their transitions. And nobody likes that. Like everybody Mm -hmm. hates it. It's like a, it's very, very hard work. And everybody is like, I don't want to do this. But Mary is like always trying to get them to find a latent. And also, folks to remember that these latents are not like traditional, like <laughs> they, they're not coming through family. They're like people, they're strung out. They're out on this, these streets. Yeah. They're um, they're all ages. Yeah. And they're the people who can't transition yes. by themselves. Yeah. So they, they're but just, they can feel the latent energy in them. And it's making many of them, they present as mentally unwell, mm-hmm. you know, um, violent yeah, and, antisocial. And, yes. And they're doing the best they can to survive. Yep. They're doing the best they can. And these are Doro's people. So yeah. just note that Doro does not take any responsibility for these people. Mm-hmm. Like he and now he's <laughs> he's trying to stop the one person who's like, I actually could heal them. So just note mm-hmm. that. Notice. So this is um Seth and and Mary is like, you know, trying to get him the second for somebody and he is describing seconding was hard work. You were a mother, a father, a friend. And if your charge needed it, a lover to an erratic, frightened, dependent person, people volunteered to be, to be seconds when they were shamed into it. They accepted as their duty, but they evaded that duty as long as they could. It was Seth's job to prompt them and then present them with a sullen, frightened charges. So he was kind of a matchmaker. That's how he thinks about himself. And his worst mistake had been um, his first, his decision to second his brother. And Mary had stopped him then, and she had not had to stop him again. He got it. He got it. It's, you can't be being a second to your relative. So, so he is on his way in his car, and he's trying to think about who he's going to get to you know, second somebody else. 
And then as he's doing this, someone shoves a, a cold steel barrel of a gun against the base of his skull and tells him to turn off the ignition. It's a man. He says, turn this car off. So he turns off the car and then with equal ease, he turns off the gunman. Um, he gave the man a mental <laughs> command, then reached back and took the gun from him. I'm not really sure who this brother is, but he made a mistake yep. um, to be trying to roll up on a telepath and make them do anything. So it looks like that he has the thoughts of a woman named Barbara Landry, who had once been this man's wife. His name is Palmer Landry. And he is very confused now because he just tried to kill somebody because he thought the person was with his wife and now he doesn't have control over his mind. <laughs> so he's still going to give it a good shot to yell and scream, where is she, where is she? So Seth had personally brought Barbara Landry, Landry from New York two months before. A month and a half later, she had come through her transition and almost immediately she had discovered that Bartholomew House and Caleb Bartholomew suited her perfectly. Seth hadn't bothered to erase her from the memories of the people she knew in New York. None of them had been friends. So she's out here now. She's got a house. She's got like, you know, a man and she's doing really well. And then here comes her, her husband being like, you know, who's got my wife? And where is she? Mm. Um, so he's thinking all kinds of thoughts about what could possibly, you know, be going on with his wife. So he's like, did you get rid of my wife already? And Seth's like, I never had her and I never wanted her for that matter, nor she me. I just helped her when she needed help. And he's, and so he's like, yo, you're Santa Claus. <laughs> but who's she living with? And then Seth introduces her as living with her family. And so this is like a big change. You'll yeah. hear this. All of the patternists are grouped into different houses yeah. and they have to be near each other, but they don't have to all live in the same structure. So they have just taken over the town. They have set up these houses. And as new people come in, they kind of find the house that like vibes more with their telepathic talent the most. And the people that they're the most attracted to. And then that becomes a, a family. And they don't have to be related to each other. They don't have to be, you know, lovers necessarily. But a bunch of adults living together. And notice I say a bunch of adults living together. So keep that in your mind. Yep. So the husband is just kind of like going bananas. And he's just like, my woman, my woman, where is my woman? He, she comes out and he sees her. And he's like what's going on and she does not actually know how to handle her abilities like that great but she uses her new defenses on him and instead of controlling him gently she stopped him suddenly and suddenly as though she had hit him as though she had clubbed him down and he fell unconscious he, so yeah. this is <laughs> this is I feel bad for him, honestly. He just doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Like that's he went about it the wrong way, but he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't understand. Exactly. And he does yeah, he doesn't understand. And he's that not she, wrong. You know, it's yeah. like there's I mean, he's wrong about the kind of you know, coming with a gun and all that, but that piece, you know, I, I can think of and I think all of us can think of like imagining our families. You know, if, if we were just like, okay, peace, I'm going to go join a telepathic community or whatever, you know, they're just like, oh, wait, what? I got to come yeah. get you out of there. You know, he's responding as if she's in a cult. 
Yeah. It's like married into a cult or something. Yeah. You know? He's like, I got to save you from these people. Yeah. Well, you know, she, the, the big thing in this is that, you know, she doesn't really know how to handle her gigantic powers. And so they basically are like, we could program him and he could live, he could live here and he would be fine. Yeah. And she's like, you know, I don't want to enslave him. I've done enough stuff to help him and let him go. And says, all right, I will. And basically, in exchange for, like, her helping, you know, her husband to leave, he's like, you have to take more lessons because you could really hurt people with your power Mm -hmm. and you don't know what you're doing. She was a rare patternist. Like Seth, she cared what happened to people she had left behind in the mute world. Seth had always liked her. Now he would see that her husband got as good a start as Clay had gotten. And you might remember Clay as Seth's yeah. brother who didn't transition and now has amazing powers. But one thing he does not have is telepathy. So he is considered a mute. And this is Rachel. Um, Rachel is like, the supreme, awesome, most incredible healer, probably, you know, next to Anyanwu and maybe does some things Anyanwu doesn't do. Yeah. You know, she's just brilliant. So she is on her way. Mary has given her an assignment. It was still bothering her that she has this assignment. Uh, she has to go someplace she does not want to go. And these tend to be the assignments Mary gives her. So she's driving up a communal driveway that led to the back of a court, a dilapidated, dirty, green stucco house. The houses were small, no more than three or four rooms each. The yards were littered with beer cans and wine bottles, and they were overgrown with weeds and shrubs and gone wild. And there's a group of teenage boys, you know, playing dice and having a surprising large stack of money. And um, they paid no attention to Rachel, so... She let her perception sweep over them and found three that she would have to come back for. Three Laytons who live in the court, but who are not as bad off as those Mary had sent Rachel after. So, you know, we're this whole entire community now yeah. of Doro's people, they take over everything. So this is it's like walking down the street. You're like just in late you're just in Laytonville. So I'm like, get out. <laughs> and it's so interesting. Yeah. And I don't know, I want to say this now, but I don't know if you have a question about what it what it means for Emma to have descendants in this kind of condition yeah. that live so close to her that, you know. Yeah. So this was a pocket of uh, Emma's descendants and they were hidden away in a corner of Los Angeles, suffering without knowing why, without knowing who they were. The women in the three houses were sisters. They hated each other, usually spoke only to trade obscenities, yet they continued to live near each other and satisfying a need they did not realize they had. One of them still had a husband, all three had children, and Rachel had come from the youngest sister, the one whose husband was still with her. This one lived in the third house back with her husband and their their two young children. Rachel looked at the house and realized that she had been unconsciously refraining from probing it. She was going entirely on what Mary had told her. That meant that there were surely things inside that she would not want to see. Mary swept the area she checked so quickly that she received nothing more than a momentary feeling of anxiety from the Laytons who were in serious trouble. 
She was like a machine sweeping, detecting latents here and there mixed in with the mute population and the worst ones she gave to Rachel. Come on, Ray. <laughs> Come like, on. Here you go, healer. Here you go. And she was right. Only Rachel could handle the most pathetic of Doro's discards. Or only she had been able to until now. Now her student was beginning to come on their own. So she has, how do you pronounce her name? Miguela? Yeah, Miguela. Miguela? I like Miguela. That's beautiful too. Yeah, Miguela Daniels. And um, her father had married a Mexican woman, a mute. But he traced his own lineage back to Emma. And so that's how we get her. She's very powerful. And she is learning how to be a healer. And they just go into the house. It's no no reason that they need to knock on any doors. These people are out, out, out. It reminds me even of a few houses on my block um, back in the early 90s and late 80s, early 90s um, during a crack epidemic. And mm. it has that vibe to it. You know, all of these all of these houses have been been redone now and are beautiful. But back in the day, I had mm-hmm. two on my block and you you could just go inside. You know, yeah. you ain't, no, ain't nobody watching out for anybody. Yeah. And everything is terrible. Everything yeah. is terrible. People yeah. are in terrible conditions. So Octavia describes all of these horrific conditions of these people in this house, the state of their minds, the state of their existence. They all have been, you know, self-medicating them to try to deal with the conditions that they're in. And in the back room, there is a dead child in a crib. And the child has been dead for a very, very long time. So you can imagine the condition. And there's other children in the house that are alive. They haven't been taken care of. So this child died of neglect. And also, you'll see as we keep going through the story, but there's a very interesting relationship between telepathic people, telepathic children. Yeah. You know, there's just, it's not a good mix. Mm -hmm. And there's something in here, you know, Miguela had her own version of being someone who was violent and someone who was unstable. And, um, and she is very judgmental on these people because of the state of the children and the, the dead baby. And Rachel has to remind her, like, this is what it means to be, you know, one of Doro's latents and not cared for. And not able to go into transition. This is what it looks like. And she reminds her, you were doing this yourself. You were doing a version of this yourself. And so you you have to learn how to handle these people. Because when you learn how to handle them, um, it's the best way to get them through transition so they can be functioning telepaths. Mm -hmm. Jesse. Yeah, I'll remember Jesse. Jesse Mm -hmm. has, (laughs) Jesse, (laughs) Jesse has a job. Um, Jesse is you know, walking through a door and he's going into a house and he's he's um, going up to the second floor and there in the back bedroom, he found Stephen Gilroy. He is the patternist owner of the house and he's sitting beside the bed of a young mute woman. The woman's face was covered with blood and it had been slashed and hacked to pieces and she was unconscious. And my God, Jesse, if you all remember, um, Jesse was the first person to jump to violence yep. back in the day, <laughs> back in those yep. long two years ago days. And now Jesse is like, I can't believe this has happened. And so they're looking for Rachel, but Rachel's on assignment. And so they're um, going to call call for one of her kids to help this person. So 
Even Jesse found himself referring to Rachel's students as her kids. And there was a sound at the front door opening and slamming. Someone ran up the stairs and a breathless young man hurried into the room and he was one of Rachel's relatives. And so he took over immediately. And so y'all see what's going on. These special people that first arrived are now like extensions out to all of these new actives and they are all adopting, you know, or holding their own circles and training people and their gifts. And so it's that's how it's getting more and more powerful and that's how people are having more and more purpose in their lives and coming through their transitions. And so Jesse is really upset and there's somebody named Hannibal. Um, the main reason um, Jesse gets there is because he wants to see and he wants to remember so when he goes after Hannibal. And there's a man argument, no, I should go after him. Oh, we get a description, Gilroy. He was a slender, dark-haired man with very pale skin. And he said, I would go after him if, if he hadn't already proved to me how little good that, that does. So people who abuse mutes are my responsibility. Jesse is in charge of people who abuse mutes. Yep. That is really incredible. I love it. Yeah. So Hannibal is very, 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 very strong um, telepath. And he feels that because mutes are his responsibility and that even uh, Hannibal is like a relative, he needs to do it. So mm. there's all of this upsetness about the way he's treated this person. And are you all getting this? Because also many of them have partners that are mutes and they have taken over the, the partners. Um, for example, Carl with Vivian. And so in this case, um, this person was physically abusive. Mm. So everybody feels bad about this and, and they want to get, they want to get with this guy. So Jesse is like, I am going to go to him. I am going to try to kill him. And he's also like having this like similar conversation Emma's having with Dora. Like, do you think you can kill him? Like he's, and he's like, I'm first, I'm first family. So <laughs> he's um he's going out, he's going to look for this person, and then he's gonna take care of it. So this is what Jesse's journey is. My favorite story so far about these folks from the first family is Jan. Yeah. Uh, y'all remember Jan is really racist the and racist. <laughs> super racist. <laughs> and you know, very you like very much didn't like people, but um Jan is got a really powerful powerful gift and she is a teacher and mary really helped jan to like find what her gift is and you know mary don't like jan and jan don't like mary but mary figured it out jan jan can put like memories into objects she can like look at something she can pull she can read something she can she can see somebody she can do things and she can she can pull a memory out of an object. One of her, you know, examples is she kind of took some piece of um, of an object, a bowl or something from ancient, ancient days, thousands, thousands of years ago, and she can read the person who, like, thoughts of a person who possibly created or used it. So Mary is like, yo, yeah. Are you kidding me that you can do that? If you can do that, that means you could place thoughts 
and ideas and things into anything. Mm. Come on. She it is really impressive. I I loved reading this whole I recommend reading everything about Jan. I'm not gonna read everything about Jan, but (laughs) (laughs) But it is one of my favorite. She's one of my it's one of my favorite things. It's so beautiful. You know, this is like what happens when um, Mary touches the fragment. She says, am I in it now? And it's like, no, it's set. So not only that, when she does it, you can touch it. Another telepath can touch it, but they're not like who they are is not going to go into it because Jan can control all of that. So she's become an artist. Hmm. She with her art, she is placing thoughts, ideas, information and she uses that as a teaching mechanism. She is teaching people who have the same kind of journey as that she has. And as she's doing it, like Mary even comments, like the art isn't that great, but <laughs> yet, but like you can like touch it and look at it and get all of this information. It's a game changer for the um, patternist community. Yeah. So she is a very, 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 very powerful resource scholar. I even. Yeah. Um, you want to say something else about Jan? I mean, I just, the learning blocks, this idea of this way of learning feels like one of the most, like for her to come from being this racist character to engaging in this method of teaching people is one of the best arcs over mm-hmm. the course of this series. So yeah, I just want people to pay a lot of attention to what Octavia's up to there. So Mary does know that Jan has been sleeping with her husband and she lets her know that she she should stop doing that at some point. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't know if that was this chapter or the other one, but I know she she told Jan, you need to you need to stop doing that. Mm -hmm. So so then we get to Ada and Ada is uh, in the principal's office of um, what is finally her school. Y'all remember Ada was very, 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 very shy. She has taken over to school. She has a a mute guardian and who was programmed to notice like if things were getting a little, a little strange, if somebody looked like they were about to transition, if their energy started to shift. This person was bringing in this 15 year old girl named Paige and Paige has had a horrible time. Paige had horrible parents. Paige was very abused and then as Paige has been going towards transition she's been in a self-harm situation just things are are awful she thinks about killing herself and so I'm just going to read this part that describes the school it says it had been a private school situated right there in Palo Verde neighborhood a school where people who were dissatisfied with the force of United School District and, uh, and they could afford an alternative. They sent their kids there. And now those people have been persuaded to send their children elsewhere. And now they've, they've cleared out everybody and gently over time. And now this is Ada's a school. So this is the first all patternist year. Everybody in the school is a patternist. And Ada has grown, overcome her shyness. She works really well with children. And most the uh, actives cannot deal with children at all. So until they transition. So this is a big deal that there's, you know, an active that actually can be close to children. If they have kids, they don't keep them even in their houses. So she has got the children and 
this child is like, I just would, I need to die because everything is, is really wrong. And there becomes this conversation about like navigating this child into the reality of her life, like what her life has been and what her life can be. And the school has a, has, you know, a psychologist, but the girl was like, you know, it didn't really do anything. And Ada's kind of experimenting with this idea of having a psychologist, but she doesn't know where it's going to take her. So she's talking to her and Paige is, you know, Octavia likes um, fiery young, young people. That's her favorite. Either the fire is coming from the top or either they're very quiet and then all of a sudden, like Zara, they know everything yep. in parable. So she loves Here Comes Paige. And Paige is, is nearing transition. And Paige is like, I just need to kill myself. And they just like, you know, Ada's like, no, like, you don't need to do that. And this is what I'm going to read about her. She has not been told what she was. Children were told when they were about her age. They spent a few days with Ada or more likely with one of Ada's assistants and they learned a little of their history and they got some idea what the future would be like. Ada had dubbed these sessions orientation classes. Paige was scheduled for one next month, but apparently nature had decided to rush things. So she's explaining to Paige that she doesn't want to kill herself. She's explaining to her that, you know, her parents were terrible parents, you know, but they're, it's because of the, who they were. They're in their terrible latent condition, so they can't be great parents. And she wants to kill the parents, and she wants to kill herself. So it's it's a hot mess. But slowly, mm-hmm. she is trying to give her this information. She's like, you can go through your transition, and you are not going to feel the same that you feel. But first, she has to explain to her that the adoptive parents that she has they're basically people who have been programmed to be caring um, parents and I think out of all the information that Paige is getting this is the worst like this is the worst you know you you read people's minds you make them do things don't they don't want to do you're not human she's like really horrified by who they are she's crying she's just having a terrible time and she just to understand that like this feeling that nobody actually authentically has loved her in her entire life. Mm. This is what she is dealing with. Um, so That's she says, so tender to read. It, it, yeah. it's so sad. You know, yeah. it really is. She, she is so powerful though. You know, Paige is taking in all this new information, but she's also does not like what they're doing. She gives us this word slaves and she says, you all are making slaves out of people. At first, you know, when you hear that, she's like, they're not telepaths, they're slaves. And then Ada just simply says, yes. And she and Paige was silent for a moment and startled by Ada's willingness to admit such a thing. Just like that. Yes. You make slaves of people. I'm not going to be a part of a group that makes slaves of people. And this is a really deep thing. I mean, I just think of all of the circles where we started from, where we're going. And, you know, inside of this level of survival, that this is what the pattern is community has figured out to do. 
She doesn't want to be a part of anything that makes people slaves. And Ada lets her know that she does not have a choice. And she's like, yeah, you could stop what you're doing. And then she said, well, then you'd still be with your parents if we didn't do it. You know, if we didn't change your parents, if we didn't find some other people, we don't harm people like the Dietrichs. That's her adoptive family in mm-hmm. any way. In fact, they're healthier and more comfortable now than they were before we found them. And the work they're doing for us is work they enjoy. If they didn't enjoy it, you'd change their minds for them. <laughs> That's Ooh. what Paige says. Well, we might, but they they wouldn't be aware of it. So <laughs> they'd be content. <laughs> oh, my God, Octavia. So this is not good news, but this is the reality <laughs> of the patternist world um, mm-hmm. that they there's a lot. This conversation is a very big conversation. I'm not going to do all of it. But basically, in this conversation, Paige is really saying that, you know, where is the authenticity and love? Where mm-hmm. is the authenticity and care? Where are some people who organically like are there that actually love you because you're you? Yeah. And that you can grow, you can grow up. So, you know, she's glad that she's not with her abusive family. She's glad that, you know, she was saved and, and things like that, but she's not happy with how it happened. And she's like, um, she like, you know, lifts her head. She meets um, Ada's eyes and she says, you're going to take me away. And she said, Yes. And she says, I don't want to go. And she says, I know, but it's time. And what this means is, so she did this full circle, this child. This child, like, came into the that space with Ada in surrender. Mm-hmm. I am ready to die. My life is too horrible for me to go on. Then she gets the information about who she is and what is going to happen and this identifying clarity between two sets of parents, one horrific and one loving. And then she finds out the loving parents were actually programmed to be loving. And so she's still like in a kind of, I just should kill myself world. And she also has enough strength to critique their system of slavery. Mm. And even with all that, she doesn't want to leave what she already knows. And now she has to leave because she is about to go through I just want to give you a round of standing applause. <laughs> that was so, so much, Toshi. It's so and much, you really y'all. covered it. So I have some questions, and I tried to winnow down the questions because this really is five chapters in one. Um, so I tried to focus, you know, this whole text for me is an organizing text. So I'm trying to really focus the questions that will help us understand the structure. So, but one big one just before, like on a writer level, put on your writing hat. Why do you think Octavia took the two year leap in the story? Right? Like what, what do you think was gained by making that choice? Was there anything lost by making that choice? And then Mary is not in this chapter, but she's all over this chapter. So just what did you learn about Mary in this chapter? What did Mm -hmm. you learn about Mary her reach, her power, her scale, her rules, her values, her activities. What did you learn about Mary? And the scale of growth here from, you know, one person, Mary, <laughs> feeling this pattern to growing it to now 1,500 people in it. 
how does that scale of growth feel to you? And have you ever been a part of growing anything that quickly? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then Emma and Doro's conversation, you know, I love when they sit down and it's just always a battle in some way. So what do you make of Emma's role now as a warning, right? She like knows she can't stop Doro or change him really, but she's still like, I'm about to tell you about yourself, fool. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know. So what do you make of her, her warning? And what do you make of Doro's assessment of the situation? Right. Cause mm -hmm. he's very clear that, that he's okay. He's like, I'm worried about this. It's, it's getting, it's more like an annoyance, but I still feel safe in my power. If, if this was the movie when Doro comes into the house and, and flops down on a couch and is all pouty, yes. I'd be like, this shit is a wrap. I like, recognize <laughs> that shape. Yes, exactly. Yep. I mean, it's just, I love that they make him just walking toxic patriarchy. Like he's just, <laughs> he's just, yeah, he is what he is. So, and then deepening into this, because we're living in a time of warnings right now and a time of toxic, toxic patriarchy um, and patriarchy is toxic. So how do we respond to the warnings that we receive? Yes. Right. Where do you feel a warning in your body? When it's time when, when you're getting a warning from inside or without. And then where do you feel warnings within your community? Mm -hmm. And where are we receiving warnings in our world? That's right. So just really notice that, that some people, some creatures, some weather systems are saying the same thing Emma's saying to Doro. Mm -hmm. You know, this, this situation is not going to play out the way you think it is, sir. Right? That's right. And are we listening? Can you hear it? Can you feel it? How do you respond? Are you a warning? Hmm. Yeah. Are you issuing any warnings? I know I am. I'm like, <laughs> 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 so then you know this this life of the mute and like what's emerging as the pattern with all its parts first of all what are the layers and roles of the pattern really make sure you have some comprehension yourself of what this is so what are all the pieces there's the first family there's the pattern itself there's the actives there's the latents there's the mutes, mm -hmm. you know, there's the latents who haven't been found, but Mary has them all mapped in her mind. And then there's more. Really see how much you can see and visualize the pattern in your mind and the scale of it. And then in the pattern, which role would you want? Where would mm. you want to be in that pattern? And mm, if you want to, which one do you currently fulfill? Right? in a pattern of organizing, in a pattern of trying to create a change in the world? Are you active? Are you latent? Are you mute? Mm -hmm. okay. And then these mutes, it's so disturbing. So can you see any purpose in the life of a mute once they're under the control of the pattern? Any purpose other than service, other than slavery? Can you currently see any potential mute power Right. You always want to be thinking backwards and forwards with Octavia. So if she gives us some people who seem powerless, she's mm -hmm. always going to be playing with that. Mm -hmm. So just notice if you can right now, like what what power might the mutes have? OK. 
All right. So we're about halfway through these questions. So for Emma, I love that you noticed this too, Toshi, because this was one of the things I came to is like, you know, we have watched Emma for centuries now fight for her people's freedom and their safety. Mm-hmm. And now the condition is that they are in squalor. So there's no safety. It's like if they join the pattern, there's one struggle. If they're not in the pattern, they're at the bottom of society. So do you have a sense of whether Emma would prefer freedom or squalor for her people? Right? Or prefer freedom if it means squalor or bondage if it means safety? And I think the question that Emma has been asking all these centuries, and I think it's true for all of her people, is freedom even possible with this lineage? Mm -hmm. Is it on the table? Is safety even possible with this lineage? Is it possible for us? Right? These are just humans evolving in a particular way. So, right, what feels possible for us? Because, you know, it's true, the more people that we meet, the more we understand that the Doro lineage and even the places where it is overlapping with the Emma or Anyanwu lineage, it's a disease, right? It really is a disease for most people, even if there is a, a power, a superpower that comes from it. Rachel gets this. She's like, I don't even want to go in that house because it's, yeah. it's, what, it's what addiction looks like. It's what the disease of addiction looks like. It's what the disease of, of being unable to meet the demands of, of adult life look like. It's hard. Yeah. Good. And then from a reader, writer, and possibly survivor standpoint, do you understand the tool Octavia is using here with the dead child? Ooh. Right. What is the what is the dead child representative of? You know. Right? There's a way that these people are rescuing people into slavery. And the dead child represents something in this in this piece, and I want you to think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Throughout this chapter, we have people self-assessing their power. There's a ton of open conversation and internal conversation around, I'm powerful enough to resist this. I can't be taken over. I can enter into this. I'm the unique first family person who can handle this situation, this crisis. There's a ton of assessment of power are people accurately able to assess their power? And this is a question you can hold on to and return to at the end of the book. Did these people accurately assess their power in this moment? And again, I want to ask you, are you accurately assessing your power right now? Do you have an accurate assessment of the people that you are in movement with or trying to create change with? Constantly be asking that question. Is our assessment correct? Can we leverage anything that we haven't expected to be able to leverage? (laughs) Are we powerless? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, they've become a race that cannot tolerate their own young. And I want to ask, who does this evoke in our current society for you? Who struggles to tolerate their own young? Who struggles to raise their own young? who has created systems so that they don't have to do that? Or does that feel familiar? Who is Octavia critiquing here? And one thing I want to uplift that I see Mary teaching us, for for better or for worse, 
And I want to ask you, what do you see Mary teaching us about prioritizing function over likability? She looks at each of these people who are considered disposable by the society that they are in. And she's like, you don't have to like them and you don't have to like me and y'all don't have to like each other, but you have a function to serve with each other. Mm -hmm. Does that work? Is that a good idea? Is that not a good idea? Just notice how you feel about it. And then this is a leading question, but how delicious is the idea of learning blocks? Like how much would you love to be able to pick <laughs> up a piece of wood and receive a history? Yeah. Sometimes I think we do this. <laughs> Sometimes I think this does happen to me. But yeah, this this concept is a really beautiful one. I just wanted to notice. I love that part. I love that so much. So much. So much. Um, and final questions. What is the relationship between power and love that we begin to see here, right? So I'll just say what I see is as people are gaining power, the cost is any kind of authentic love. Mm -hmm. No one has an authentic love story. Their mutes are manipulated. And in the pattern, everything is transactional and power dynamics, right? So just notice what else you see there. And... Does Mary love anyone? Does Emma love anyone now? Does anyone here, do you see authentic love happening anywhere in this power struggle? Mm. And then same, what is the relationship between having these advanced abilities and care? Mm -hmm. Right? Does this evolution mean that care has to be absent? Because we see tons of abandoned kids, abandoned people, manipulated community. Is that just the function of the pattern or is it because this is a network that emerged from Doro? What do you think, right? Is there another Mm -hmm. way? Is it too late? And this isn't a question, but just a final offering. Really pay attention to the seeds of abolition in this chapter, Mm -hmm. right? So all throughout this chapter, over and over again, we keep hearing that there are people who are like, I don't want to be an enslaver. I don't want to manipulate mm-hmm. that person. I don't want to take their power, even if it means I would then get access to them somehow. There's an integrity here of people who say, I will not overpower and manipulate and gaslight and control these people. Is that love? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. That <laughs> is what I wanted to ask about chapter nine. Yeah, yeah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay. So I, yeah, and it just keeps going from here. So thank y'all for this, for listening to this episode. And Toshi, just, yeah, thank you. I think this might be the biggest chapter Octavia ever wrote. Uh, (laughs) It's up there. It's up there. (laughs) It's a little book. It's up there. All right. Octavia's Parables is hosted by myself, Adrian Marie Brown, and my incredible and brilliant co-host, Toshi Regan. Our producer is Kat Aaron. Our show art is from Krista Franklin. We are transcribed this summer by Sarah Rubens Breen. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Oparables. Um, you can become a supporter of our work at patreon.com slash Oparables. And transcripts for everything we do live at readingoctavia.com. Yay, music for Octavia's Parables is You Don't Know the Sign 
Ooh, you don't know. You don't know the time. You don't, you don't know, know the it. signs, <laughs> and you don't know the time. <laughs> Why are you missing everything, though? <laughs> Why are you missing everything, Boo? Uh, yeah. Written and performed by Toshi Regan, and the Sower Song, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, and performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, Chapel Hill, North mm. Carolina, mm. at mm. Memorial mm. Hall. Mm-hmm. You know, Alexis does that little dance. She does this little dance. Sometimes yeah. that dance is just in my head now. Alexis Pond comes a little dance. Yeah. Um. That's a good thing to have (laughs) in your head right there. "Mm, mm, mm, mm." All right, y'all. We'll see you next time. Peace. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed. A sower went out to sow her seed. So